jugglers, specialists, predatorial survivalists, spinning heaven, fight from his lips, burn a slave driver. Welcome, listeners, to Time for an Awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge, but we as a people can turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all that getting an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the home page and catch the live stream. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there also. You can go to abb2me.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening straight from Ghana and catch the live stream there. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. And then at TuneIn search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening. There you'll see the icon, and you can stream the program live, even into your car if you have the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail. Com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you always hear interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook. And Time for an Awakening media is there. Always full of the latest podcast of the various programs on Time for an Awakening media, interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also, check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace in our partnership with the BB2Me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. It's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here in the city of Philadelphia on this chilly Sunday evening, and we're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guests this evening, journalist, associate professor of American Studies at Emerson College in Boston, <clears throat> Professor Roger House, is joining us in discussion. Professor House uh, authored some interesting articles, one of them, uh, I highlighted in the promo for tonight that was in the Daily Beast talking about uh, what Eric Adams and New York's black leadership needs to do. Uh, that's part of the discussion this evening. You know, uh, 
Professor House entitled it "What Eric Adams and New and the NY's New Black Leadership Needs to Do," but you can transpose that to any of these cities and what the leadership needs to be doing. We'll uh, venture into that topic this evening with our special guest, American, uh, a professor of American Studies at Emerson College in Boston, Professor Roger House, and we'll do that at the start of the program after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time For an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowner's insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell 
the political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening at 712 here in the city of Philadelphia on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Art Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Ellie. How are you, sir? Um, as you know, the chill is coming. I had to put on a hat and a coat, or, or yeah, a coat. A coat. Come on, Richard. Uh, and, oh and, man! And I was like, I'm like, yeah, okay, here we go. The, the 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 beat, the beat, the beast is on. But that aside, everything else is is okay. And I'm definitely looking forward um to our our conversation um um this evening because I think in the this is October. In a place like Philadelphia, where we're, I don't know if other places, November, we're, you know, have an election and for those who are going to be voting. So we should be assessing, you know, our political um, reality um, as as a people, you know, um, in this moment when we get choices of candidates. And I was looking over the ballot and individuals and recognizing how many people I really don't know. So. And they and they've been there a while. So are they uh, that political class uh, a part of the problem, or I, as a newly um, found voter, a part of the problem? So I, I, I think hopefully we can tease that out for my own satisfaction tonight. You know, Richard, this subject <clears throat> we we deal with uh, quite a bit on time for an awakening because you said that, uh, as you correctly stated, that's a reality on the period that we're moving through right now. And it's clear to me that we need to adopt a different stance on how we're dealing with this. Uh, these discussions, Richard, uh, don't come up. And I, I want our folks to understand this. These type of discussions don't come up in electronic media. That's TV, and I'm talking about some of the TVs as uh, TV programs are supposed to be black orientated and discussing these issues, and on popular black radio stations that deal with talk. These type of discussions don't come up. Where you see a lot of these discussions happening is in print media, and some of our professors on different college campuses are writing articles and uh, putting thoughts out there for for our consumption to deal with this in the court of public opinion and uh, savage think tanks in a lot of these cities and discuss these things. You see it in print media. And that's where I pulled up uh, Professor House's article. And he has several others on the same theme. So I would, I would uh, 
requested the listening audience, just Google him and see some of the articles, and we'll be discussing some of them in critical discussion tonight. But I want our folks to understand, you're not going to hear these discussions on some of the popular black news-orientated shows, and you won't hear them on some of the popular black talk programs. You got one popular one in Washington, D.C. that's on Sirius. You got one that's on uh, regular radio. You're not going to hear these type of discussions. Uh, so, you know, put your thinking cap on and uh, and listen to some of the things that's stated because I think we're all going to learn something this evening. Uh, before I bring on our guest, Richard, I just want to kind of preface it by making a statement, and we'll bring, and and I'll get the Professor House's opinion on it because he's a uh, professor of American studies, and I'm just uh, basically a layman uh, just reading history. But I, I want to look at, the predecessors to our early black politicians when we started getting involved in this political process, basically during the reconstruction period. Uh, If you remember, Richard, and we discussed it on the program, when uh, Sherman, uh, General Sherman met with our ancestors and it was, I think it was a little over 20 of them in uh, Savannah in January 12th of 1865, uh, he talked with them about what they wanted and what we wanted as a people. If you remember those discussions, Richard. Right, right. And they basically had a consensus opinion amongst our ancestors. Now keep in mind that this group, Richard, was the predecessor to the early black politicians. It was a self-help philosophy adopted by our ancestors then, and that translated into the mindset of early black politicians. Now, just in case we're not for me, I just want to read two questions and two responses from our ancestors before I bring our guest on. And this was during that meeting with our ancestors on January 12, 1865. Uh, at that time, uh, Sherman, who was the Secretary of War, met with our ancestors basically to, I guess, to thank them for helping turn the tide and winning that civil war and wanted to see what our people wanted as a consensus. And this is what they said. Uh, this was Sherman's question. State what manner you think you can take care of yourselves and how the government can best assist in maintaining your freedom. This was our response by our ancestors. The way we can take care of ourselves is to have our own land, to turn it and till it by our own labor, that is by the labor of our men, our women, and children, and old men. And we can soon maintain ourselves and have something to spare. We want to be placed on land until we are able to buy it and make it our own. The question from Sherman, state what manner you would rather live uh, scattered among whites or in colonies by yourselves. This was their answer. Uh, I would prefer to live by ourselves, for there is a prejudice among us in the South that will take years to get over. But I don't know what I can say in reference to my brethren. Uh, uh, We think that we should be separate and live together ourselves. All of the persons present uh, being questioned one by one answered that they all agreed with Brother Frazier. So you could see a consensus, Richard that uh, 
how people were adopting a self-help philosophy. Some of the Mm -hmm. early politicians came out of these these groups, and you can see that they had a self-help philosophy among our people until they were basically run out of office after that Reconstruction period, both both governmentally and literally run out of office until a period where blacks started getting involved in politics again. The reason I'm saying that, because I think that we have to look at the total picture of what we're dealing with, how we reacted at one time and how our people are reacting now in order to get kind of a clearer picture as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, and we'll delve into that with, uh, our guest this evening, journalist and associate professor of American studies at Emerson college in Boston. Professor Roger house is joining us for discussion. Professor house. How are you, sir? Very good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. And I'm happy to have you on time for an awakening with myself and brother Richard. How you doing there, sir? Hi, good evening, brother, brother Richard. Good evening, brother Elliot. Thank you for having me uh, on the show. And, um, I appreciate the chance to share my work with uh, with your audience. And I have to say that um, I always enjoy that snippet that you play at the um, at the beginning from John Henry Clark, the historian John Henry Clark, on the, the, the meaning of history. Um, because it's some of his ideas that 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 has inspired the research that that I'm I'm doing, um, that that um, uh, the article that you picked up. And one of his ideas, one of his lectures is on the question, are we ready for the 21st century? Mm. So he poses the question, and then he says, uh, well, now I could end this lecture right here and now, because we all know that we're not ready for the 21st century. He said, but that wouldn't really get us anywhere. So what I can do is at least raise some ideas, point in some directions for where we can go and how we can get ready for the 21st century. So it's, it's thinking like that of his, that, that, that has inspired some of the work that, that I'm doing today. Uh, Professor House, you know, and I I want to start from pulling from the, the Eric Adams article. Uh, and you talked about the new black leaders and what we need to do. Uh, you kind of, and, and I'll read what you state here as a question and get you, and this is how we open things up in this discussion. Uh, you say in the second paragraph, yet there are questions about how this new black political class will use its power. Can individual electoral achievements be translated into a broader agenda of community development? Is this class of politicians capable of seizing the mo- seizing the moment and promoting an agenda of empowerment that eluded an earlier generation of leaders, or will it simply be another episode of office holding by savvy politicos who happen to be black? Professor House, I want to open the discussion with that because uh, the reason I kind of referred black to uh, back to our early ancestors. Uh, which was a predecessor to us becoming involved in this political structure here in this country, it was clear that they had a self-help philosophy that they had adopted among themselves that led to that first group of uh, black politician. I don't think 
that this current black politician has those principles at heart. They might say it, but their actions prove something different. Uh, just go into that just from your perspective on which you have uh, gleaned from some of your looking into our political structure, how we operate politically. Talk about that from your perspective, because you mentioned five points in that article that I really want to break into. Okay. Well, I mean, I think that the, uh, you know, that there's been a, an original and successes, successive philosophy of self-reliance, of um, group development um, from, from the very beginning. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the, uh, uh, the discussion between General Sherman and the Gullah people on, the, on, on, on coastal Georgia. In fact, from coastal Carolina through Georgia, through, through, uh, through, through Florida, for, for that matter. But, but it goes back even earlier. It, it goes back to the days of the uh, maroon communities and their, you know, and, and their decisions um, as runaway Africans to forge independent communities in the islands and in the woodlands of, um, you know, of coastal Georgia, uh, coastal Florida, and the, and the Carolinas. Um, from there, it goes to the communities that mixed with the Yamasa Indians, with the Seminole Indians, to forge in, independent communities. Areas like uh, Fort, Fort Mose, independent black settlements. From there, it rolls into the post-Civil War period and the thinking behind the formation of an independent state, an autonomous region along the, the coastal third of, of Georgia, the Carolinas, and Florida. And it did not die after that point. It continued to live in organizations like Booker T. Washington's Tuskegee uh, University, Tuskegee Institute at the time, and the uh, you know, and his uh, uh, National Negro Business League, of course, Marcus Garvey and UNEA, the Universal Negro Improvement Association, and it, it's really not until the period of the the Great Depression, when conditions are so dire and people are so up against it, that there is a shift in thinking and in our politics from away from the idea of the pursuit of autonomous communities, self-reliance and self-improvement to an increasing reliance on the programs of the state, the benefits of collective action through unions. And from that point on, the benefits that could, that could be derived through um, integration into mainstream associations and a politics that began to reflect the dual interests of the community and of a larger mainstream political party and its coalition members. I think I'll let you take it from there. Richard, uh, uh, jump in. Um, it's interesting. And, and, and I was, I'm a little, um, because I want to give a counter, um, to what Elliot raised coming from an observation, um, coming from the North, um, to, to ask a question that, um, maybe we reflect this shift. 
I'm, I'm looking at um, Roots of Violence in Black Philadelphia, 1860 through 1900. And um, um, in, in this section, there's a, a, a minister, a Reverend Dr. H.M. Turner, who um, is leaving the church. And, um, and this is um, 1878. Um, and, and we're dealing with a... a um, person, James Neham, who just got a, uh, a position, an uh, unpaid position um, uh, in, in, the, in the school board. But um, his observation, and he's comparing it to the cell, and, and this will go to the question I have for you, um, Dr. House. Um, he says that, um, quote, you may think your local matters are, uh, are none of my business, he wrote in the Christian Recorder. But think as you may, I did tell you, it is time um, you were getting more for your political services with all your speaking, organizing, parading the streets, ballyhooting, holding mass meetings, voting, and sometimes fighting. What do you do? Unquote. And he gives, gives a list, you know, of, of positions that were run if I may go on, and it's, it's a short. The list was shorter than the prologue. Three menials in the post office, no letter carriers or clerks, one clerk in the municipal tax office, and another in the custom house. Um, so he goes on in, in that. And this raises the question, you know, in you, in another article you deal with looking looking at um, Warnock and Espy, and, and dealing with this whole thing of the political class. And over the last election and the presidential election, um, Georgia became a, a, a symbol, I think, of a new mobilizing, organizing, possibly in the direction of, of this, um, the, for the political establishment, which I think through your articles, you're, you're reviewing. Um, my question is, do you think that um, what is going on in Georgia is one towards the ends that you kind of are questioning in relationship to um, um, that question of whether the black political class is truly organizing towards power to be able to get the services um, in, if not the state within those counties. I, I, I'm curious of how you review based off of looking at Warnock and 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 SB and and Georgia around you know your seems to be your center theme around the um, political class. Yet, um, how should we look at that? Yeah, I mean, what I'm what I'm looking at is the potential for different stages of black autonomous communities to be forged in different areas of, 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 of the country. And um, my, my, my work began, you know, it really began with the close of the Obama era. And, uh, you know, Obama, um, no matter what, what critics may say, Obama is an example of how we often fail to appreciate what we have until it's taken away. Right? And, but the question for me was, well, well, what is next? Um, do we simply try to replicate the politics of Obama, the politics of 
the mystique of power, mm. or can we seek a, a, a new, you know, a new, a new politics that's, you know, that that's that's rooted, you know, that's much more closely rooted in in using the resources of politics to advance our economic interest and using the resources of politics not to the service of a national political party or increasingly to a progressive or liberal agenda, but in fact to use it to forge a Black agenda and Black political power in the communities where we have a chance of sustainable control. Right, so Georgia, to me, was one of the case studies. Um, New York City was another case study. And to me, they're kind of on different ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. New York is a case of a people coalescing behind the campaign of Eric Adams for a last gasp attempt at gaining some measure of political control with the potential for improving their economic lives. Georgia is at the more advanced stage of this quest for autonomy in that they have the potential of not only controlling a metropolitan area, which they already have, but of controlling an actual state and controlling it in a way that falls that falls under the guidelines of the, the system, the political system of federalism that we have in this country. Basically, Georgia is on the cusp of becoming a black majority minority state. Hmm. And if they are able to, and if the black community, the black political class nationally, you know, is able to do a few things, they can advance this process, they can accelerate this process, and they can gain, they can gain a claim on a state that will give them benefits of all kinds, industrial policy planning, right? Uh, guaranteed sustainable representation in the Senate, control of the mechanisms of a state government, control of the the mechanisms of mayorships across the state. So, you know, the ability to train, you know, train young people in the skills of management, of governance, right, that will benefit them for a generation or more within the state and create a talent pool that can have that can have impact outside of the state. So George, it's so it's simply to say I'm looking at New York and I'm looking at Georgia, right, as as potentials for black political power at different stages of of the you know of the development of the local political classes. And the and the communities, right? Uh, going back to when I first began looking at this issue, uh, after the Obama years, the pressing question to me 
and I think for the Black community, was one of economic relevance in the 21st century. It was clear that we were falling behind in critical areas of life, and our leaders seemed ill-prepared for the challenges. And this was before there was any notion of something like COVID. And some of the threats, the threat of automation to the Black labor force, right? There was a prominent McKinsey report on the looming joblessness for the Black population, especially Black men, through displacement by automation. A problem, you know, to me, the link of any ideas of the Black political class at a national level for linking Black business or employment to the national industrial policies around clean energy, repatriation of the global supply chain, the growing cannabis trade, and then the old question, the old question of the outflow of Black consumer spending. Where do our dollars go? Who do we enrich? You know, how do we, you know, how do we try to establish stronger connections between Black consumers, Black skilled trades, Black consumers, Black business? Anyway, all of these issues are questions for the 21st century. None of these issues seem to be prominent in the, in the programs of the Congressional Black Caucus or prominent prominent African-American leaders. So I began to explore ways that we might change this dynamic to shift the emphasis away from the chasing of offices at the federal level. Who cares who's the vice president? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, as, as, you know, as the old saying goes, it's, it's not worth, it's not worth a, a warm bucket of spit. In pursuing and in trading capital to gain a seat as, uh, 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 in the vice presidency, what did we lose? We lost a far more valuable seat in the Senate. In fact, we lost that seat because the person who replaced the former senator is not from the black community, right? It would have made far more sense to yield on that office, allow someone like uh, the Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer, to take that office and then allow her lieutenant governor to assume the office of governor of Michigan. Now you have someone at the head of a state. You empower the community of Detroit. But it, but it seemed, but, you know, but, but instead it seemed that the chase was instead for a prestigious position, even if it lacked true roots of power, right? Absent a tragedy with, with the president. Now, Professor House, before I uh, yeah. kind of propose something else to you, um, yeah. I just want to make it, get clarity for myself. You're talking about more of a focus towards, uh, the local political controlling political uh, political control of localities where we populate. It's, that's right. Good. Okay. Right. Can, can we can we better harness right our political clout, our political resources in strategic areas? Okay. Right to uh, you know to you know to gain you know to gain political empowerment. 
but with a purpose. Okay. Not simply to hold the office, but to use that office in ways that helps to build our economic development as as a community. Now, now I'll, t- I'll tell you why, and, th- and this goes back to Amos, you know, Amos Wilson, right? You know, the, 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 the so you know, so, social psychologist, and you know, and, and historian, and you know, and you know, and his, you know, his insights. You know that you know that in fact, you know, in, in a blueprint for Black Power, right? That you know that in fact, a political class is no stronger, right? Than you know that, that you know that than its base. You know than the wealth, right? And the property, and the organization, right? Of of you know of its community, and that a Black political class with you know with a base. That is weak in those areas of property and wealth and organization are nothing more than office holders. They're biding their time. Okay, Richard, you want to? Uh... I, I want. I just wanted to follow up to the question that you asked in the sense of does does that mean that we should be also uh, um, because it makes a connection to me. Um, looking at the political class at the local level and and seeing whether there these um, that that movement towards power um, is being driven there, and the qu- other question of whether it can be driven. I'm just throwing these thoughts out, um, Elliot. You can go to the question, but um, based off of your question, I'm just you know, um, Professor, uh, I, I just wanted to make sure that we also have to look at the local political class to see if they're moving in that direction or not. We have to assess that. Is that Would that be a queer, uh, uh, correct um, thought question? Well, I think that's right. I, I mean, I, I think you have to work, you know, you have to work and you have to have a priority on advancing the interests of, of the local class. Buy into it. But you can also expand it. Right. Um, the, the you know the 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 question with um with Georgia, and you know and the idea that you know that 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 I was promoting with you know with with Georgia was that it, it's not simply a local. You know, it's not simply an initiative of empowerment uh, of interests to people locally and at the statewide level, but it's also you know it's also cause for a project for a campaign, if you will, right, of the black political class across the country to find out what they can do, right, to help this project be successful. And I call it, I call it the Georgia, the Georgia imperative. And part of, you know, and, and, and part of the imperative is to better target a trend that has been ongoing that continues to on go that, that continues to go on, but has been unfocused. And that trend is the reverse migration, right? Of black folks from the uh, uh, the, 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 the declining cities of the Midwest, the declining cities of, of the Northeast. People, you know, sit, you know, sitting up there and wondering, you know, what they're going to do, how they, what, you know, where they, where they're going to find a job. And migration is has its has its challenges, but it certainly is not something unprecedented in our history. So now we have 
for several decades now, people returning, returning to the South. But it's unfocused. Is there a way for our political leaders to encourage a targeted migration, to peel off some measure of that, you know, of that migration and to target it for the state of Georgia, to build up the voting population, to take it from 30% to 50 plus percent, to help convert that state to be a black majority minority state in a way where no matter what, no matter what political shenanigans the right wing may come up with, it will fail simply, simply by virtue of, of the numbers. And I'm not saying that everyone should cram into Atlanta. Atlanta is overpriced. It's a job base. It's overpriced. But the, you know, but the black political class of Georgia controls cities across the state. Across the state. They have clout in counties, right? Across the state. They need to expand on that. So I thought of a number of, you know, of, 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 you know, of, of different ways. Appeals to black retirees in the North. You want to leave Detroit? You want to leave Buffalo? Right? You're, you're looking for a place to retire? Is there some way for the black political class to help make Georgia a black retirement destination? Mm. Students for, to HBCUs are looking for jobs. They're going to Atlanta and the metropolitan area now. COVID has created a new opportunity for black remote workers, right? You no longer have to be in major cities, right? To do your job. If you don't, then why, why stay in Detroit? Why stay in Buffalo, Rochester, right? You can go to low cost, right? Affordable satellite cities in Georgia, become part of a political solution, still do your job. So I, you know, so these are some of the things I was writing about when it came to Georgia, along with the cultural and historical justifications for looking at it as, you know, as a prospect for a black majority state. Professor House, the, um, yeah. now, it, because just numbers wise, and, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, I think Mississippi uh, is similar in dynamic to Georgia as far as our people uh, having a good majority of the population there or a, a significant number of the population and the, the voting dynamic is similar to Georgia. Am I right? Yeah. The, the issue with Mississippi is that it's a, uh, it lags in its political development. Okay. Okay. It, I understand. And it, and it lags in its, in its economic promise. And finally it's um, because it's such a small population, it's about 4 million people in the state. Right, about forty percent of that of that population are, are black, but that compares to about ten million people in in a, in, um, in Georgia. You know, so you have a larger talent pool to contribute to to your black political class and to other you know and to other critical technical expertise that's needed to um, to manage a state. Now, now, Professor House, herein lies. Our question, and when I say our question, I'm talking about the the uh, the think tank debate that ought to be going on in all of these areas, whether you're talking about urban areas or rural areas. 
and you allude to it in your article. I'm going to pull from a couple of paragraphs here to add to the discussion. You state in the article, and to me, this encapsulates, encapsulates two mindsets in our communities. Uh, one uses historical base. The other just kind of comes off the cuff, so to speak. And I, 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 I'll explain that a little bit clearer. But let me read your article. It says, one trend was towards an African-centered community activism advanced by figures like Reverend Herbert Daughtry, uh, his National Black United Front engaged many community organizations but failed to wed the activist agenda to the practical structures of municipal governance. Then you state another trend was towards an alliance with predominantly white liberal Democrats in support of class-based remedies. Now, you use New York as a kind of like a test case or, or a mindset that you were dealing with examples that New York uh, example can be transposed to Philadelphia, to Chicago, to all of these cities where you have a community based vision towards politics in our engagement. And also another mindset that stems out of the community that trends toward the alliances with predominantly white liberal Democrats in support of class-based remedies. Now, let me put a historical spin on it to get you to elaborate on it. Um, and, and in one of your articles, you kind of talk about some of the times in history, uh, whether the abolitionist movement, reconstruction, civil rights movement. Uh, let, let, let me throw this in there during the abolitionist period where you had white liberals that supposedly wanted the same thing as some of our ancestors who were struggling for freedom. You had, and I'll just pull four names that I put down here because it was others. You had Frederick Douglass, you had Henry Highland Garnett, Martin Delaney, and our ancestor from Boston, David Walker. Soon as some of the other men, especially the top three, started venturing away from what the white liberals thought was the way that our ancestors should be looking at this, they were labeled radical. Soon as they started adopting a uh, self-help philosophy, that was labeled radical. It happened with Douglas. It definitely happened with Garnett. Uh, it happened with Delaney. Uh, I'm, we get learned from this, but that can't be helped. In the early 1900s, W.E.B. Du Bois formed the NAACP with "quote unquote" white liberals. But as soon as he started adopting uh, a real strong self-help philosophy and moving towards that. He was ostracized by the quote-unquote white liberals. During the 60s, the civil rights movement, Dr. King was looking towards a everybody-involved type of mindset similar to uh, alliances with white 
liberals that happen to be Democrat. But soon as he, in the last maybe year and a half, two years of his life, started adopting a what they considered a more radical outlook, he was ostracized. And, and, and just moving it up to modern politics, and one name I'll pull out is from the 1990s on, Cynthia McKinney. As soon as she got in office and started adopting uh, self-help principles and a philosophy, she was ostracized and taken out of office. Now, those white liberals uh, that influence black politicians come from re- certain religious groups and special interest groups that pour money into these black political coffers or the aspirations of these black, quote-unquote, politicians. So they control the narrative. So can we adopt these type of principles and not be controlled by other people? See, that's the quandary that that almost is like a debate among black folks in these cities and other areas that that's looking at politics from a realistic stance. Some of these people, and did you look at some of these popular politicians, whether you're talking about Hakeem Jeffries, whether you uh, pull Obama out, whether you talk about Kalamala Harris, Cory Booker, any of these popular political figures, they've adopted that bottom stance that you talk about, which is a trend toward alliance with white liberal Democrats. And when we do that, our people always end up behind the eight ball, the short end of the stick, uh, with the uh, when you're playing three card Molly and you end up with nothing, it, it's always that same result. So we're going to have to adopt some of the principles that you speak about in this article and probably in the second half of the program. I want to mention some of the five points so you can really go into them. But just just comment on what I said, uh, uh, Professor uh, House, uh, because you mentioned these two mindsets in your article. Yes, I mean I think. Um we don't, you know, no group lives in isolation. And you do need your, your political class to be able to forge some degrees of uh, associations and coalitions and um, planned uh, mutually supported policies. And th- there is, you know, there is space for, um, uh, for national economic policies, for, um, uh, federal, uh, federal program policies, things of that sort, where, the, you know, where there are mutual interests between um, black political class and uh, white liberals and white centrists uh, that are genuine, right? Uh, decent wages, um, uh, support, you know, support for, for unionization, right? Uh, clean air, clean water, environmental standards, th- you know, think things of that sort. Uh, part of the problem is our leaders tend to become so absorbed, right, into you know, into this other agenda, um, and you know, and because the money the money tends to be there, <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, and, and and you know and 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 the resources it's it's you know it's it, it is a natural outcome, uh, but you know. But we as a community, you know, and they as leaders who rely on our support have, have to realize, like, like Amos Wilson said, they are no stronger, right, than the economic base 
you know, the, the economic standing of, 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 of their base. All right, so even if they want to be players on a larger, on a larger stage, even if they want to, you know, to, to participate with some measure of equity in a coalition, right, it is in their interest right, to promote a self-reliant you know, group development right, uh, program of property, of property, wealth, and, com and community organization. Right? Without it, it is a recipe for Black powerlessness, Black political powerlessness. So they have no choice. We, we have no choice. So the question is, how can we get back on that road? How can our scholars, how can our cultural leaders right, play a role in helping to move the mindset of the community and move the politics of the community in this direction of, of group development, economic development, Black empowerment for the 21st century. Right? Um, I, you know, I do think that the political class uh, is larger than simply the politicians themselves. I think that, that you know that that the politics op, you know op, operates in, in in a number of ways, right? You you have you have the active, you know, you have the active politics of you know of people like you know like like Adams, right? Or uh, or you know or Obama or you know or, or Harris, but you also have the the, the educative the educative politics of you know of uh, of black black educators and fact you know faculty and you know, and, and scholars and thinkers. And you also have the, you know, the, the critical politics of, of programs like yours, right? And, you know, and, 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 and other black radio and, you know, and media, uh, movies, um, writings, all of it is part of this larger political culture of, of, of our community, right? And, you know, and it may be easier to mobilize at, you know, at a cultural level, at an educational level within the community to help drive the political class, you know, in this direction of, you know, of, of economic development and, and, and self-reliance. Before, before we go to a break, I want to um, read a paragraph that you wrote in uh, the Hill article. And for our listening audience, uh, just Google the Hill and it's Black Lives and mass protests, why we need a new approach. That was another article done by Professor House. It states in the article, um, an autonomous state, because you, you're talking about an autonomous state when you're talking about Georgia and taking over the political environment of Georgia uh, for our people. You say in this particular uh, paragraph I'm reading from that article, an autonomous state does not mean that people would abandon living in other areas of the country. It does mean that all blacks would live in the representative state. Excuse me. It does not mean that all blacks would live in a representative state. It simply means that those in a position to support the idea would consider it an option if interested. The notion of a, a sovereign ethnic state is well within the historical experience of American politics. Other marginalized groups have used majority-minority status to their advantage since the 19th century. Foremost are Mormons in Utah, Asian Americans, 
Hispanics in New Mexico. The strategy might work for black Americans as well if there is the political vision. Talk about that statement before we go to a break, Professor House. Well, again, it's, it's you know, when, when you raise issues like that, it, immediate, it immediately uh, uh, raises, you know, um, sets off an alarm for some, for some people. Yes. Uh, you, know, uh, one, you know, one concern is, uh, you know, well, is this a return to separate, you know, to, to separate but equal? You know, um, you know, another is, well, you know, well, you know, well, does that mean that, you know, that you're going to have a, um, you know, a, a major shift of, you know, of populations like between uh, India and, you know, and, and, and Pakistan in, in, the, in the 1940s. And, and, you know, and it does not mean any, any of that. You know, all, you know, all, you know, all it really means is that people who have an interest and the option in building something new and being part of a different kind of project, a state building project, all it means is if they are interested, if they have the means, if they have the health, if they have the, you know, the freedom to do so, why not? Why not? Why, you know, why, why stay in a declining city, you know, in, in the north, you know, upset about um, injustices of one kind or another? If your ancestors could pick up and form towns and settlements okay, in Oklahoma, in Kansas, right, in, you know, in Nebraska, with far less resources of education, far less resources of money, far less, you know, resources of information. If they could do it, well, hell, we can, we can do it even better. We, we can do it even better. And for people who don't want to, you don't have to. You don't sacrifice, you know, it doesn't mean sacrificing your standing as a citizen in this country. You can still go anywhere you want to go, right? You can still demand the rights that you want to demand simply means that you are working in a positive way to build something of your own, a safe haven, a place where over time, as your power grows, right, as your expertise grows, over time, you know, you know that you can walk the streets with your head held high. You know that the police aren't going to mess with you. You know that White folks may say whatever they say or think whatever they think to themselves, but they're not going to act out on it. You can build it. You can build it the same way that you can build a, you know, a, a distinguished company like the, you know, like like the like the old Motown or whatever. So that 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 was that was that was my sentiment behind, you know, behind behind that that idea, and, and also to say that it is not unprecedented. That it has worked to the advantage of, you know, of, of you know, of, of other groups right up until this day. Right when the Mormons want political uh, a, a political symbol, they look, you know, they look to Utah, they look to Salt Lake City. They have, you know, they have spokes spokesmen like Mitt Romney. Right, the the Asian Americans, you know, set, you know, send on a regular basis their people. To Washington to sit in, to sit in the Senate, they have they have more seats in the Senate 
than their population in the, their population in the country simply by virtue of the control of a state. So what it is is a base. It's a black political base. Is what you build on. Benefits. Before we go to a break, Richard, uh, here's a rhetorical question. I'm going to throw it, Richard, and, and Professor House, you're listening because you raised that question about our people saying among themselves, are we going back to separate but equal? Richard, that's the, that's the only people that that conversation comes up among. Those examples that Professor House just gave of, of Mormons, of uh, of uh, Asian Americans, uh, of uh, Hispanics in New, in New Mexico, that conversation don't come up with them. Why does it come up among our people, Richard? Maybe throw something in there before Professor House says something, and then we we go to break. Why does I, I, this conversation only come up among our people? Uh, I, I, I'm gonna respond to this um, based off of our conversation with um, Professor Leonard Moore when we were um, looking at the book, The Defeat of Black Power um, and the electoral, you know, the, and that was in 72 at the 72 convention, right? Um, and it was the, as, as Professor House says, the black political class making an alignment because I would, I would project that that response comes out of that alignment which is tied to the political party, which they rely on to return to the position, the office that they hold. That that's that's my short. But if I may take this opportunity to also say, um, Professor House, that what you say is if we were centered, that political class and the rest of us, and and I'm glad you said the political culture, because that includes all of us, were centered in our own history, we would recognize that what you're suggesting, proposing, presenting the the observation of a, as a strategic move is not nothing new to us. Because in 1890, the Oklahoma Immigration Association began to send, and I'm quoting from a, a article, began to send agents throughout the South recruiting African-Americans to relocate to the territory. The agents highlighted the opportunity in Oklahoma and their efforts helped to create many all-Black towns, (laughs) such as Gathra and Langston, as well as bustling African-American communities in Oklahoma City, Tulsa, and Muskogee. The men launched an unsuccessful effort to make Oklahoma an all-Black state. So if we're (laughs) centered in our own historical positioning, then we would know from a strategic perspective that this time, looking at, as you say, what Dr. Clark said about the question about the 21st century, that seems to be a grand strategy if I'm hearing you right, Dr. House, which we need to revisit. Does that yeah. make sense? Yes, I mean, it, you, know, it, it's a, you know, it's a grand strategy and it's one, if done thoughtfully, right, could have uh, tentacles that would reach out across the country and, you know, and across the Pan-African world. Okay, 
All right. I mean, basically, what we should, you know, we see ourselves, you know, we see ourselves as Dr. House, you still there? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm still here. Okay. Uh, I'm know, sorry. I, Go I'm ahead. Try, I, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of how to say this. <laughs> <laughs> take, it, take your time. <laughs> take your time. I say, one, one, way that we, one way that we should see ourselves, right, uh, in, 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 in the Pan-African framework is, you know, is not as, is not as a, you know, a degraded people you know, seeking to return to the continent of Africa to find ourselves, right? right? That, I mean, that that makes sense. That makes sense on on, on some levels, uh, especially you know a, a, a cultural level. But if, you know, but but another way of seeing ourselves is as the westernmost outpost of the Mandi people, mm. right? The westernmost outpost of the Bantu people. We came here through unfortunate circumstances, but now that we are here, right, we should be a springboard for the black people of the Pan-African world, right, to, you know, to spread into the Americas and, you know, and to enjoy the, you know, the, the fruits of our labor. We earned it many times over. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the discussion. Uh, Professor House, you all right time-wise? I'm good. I'm good. good. We're going to continue the discussion. You can get involved, too, by dialing 215-490-9832. Again, that's 215-490-9832. Our special guest this evening is journalist, associate professor of American studies at Emerson College in Boston, Professor Raja House. Again, you can get involved in the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. We'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21. 
215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger. Run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family, to join your interconnected commit to you black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. In this crooked game of power politics here in America, the Negro, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issue, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. The white liberal differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football. Since the 60s, you will see nothing but betrayals by the petty bourgeois elements in our society. The African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world. In Africa, they seek luxury in the midst of mass suffering. There are more Mercedes in Africa than in any other continent in the world. In America, as soon as they arrive at a position based on this blood of the people, they snatch that position and run away from the people. 
But you must not think that they represent the people. They only represent their opportunistic self using the people every step of the way. So you must not be confused. The petty bourgeoisie everywhere will be running for cover, but the masses will spare them not. Consequently, we who have dedicated our lives to the people's struggle, we who knowing that the people will always be free, we understanding that we must make a contribution to qualify our struggle since the 60s, have been, have been dedicating all our energies to only one task, the organization of the masses of our people. We are not running for mayor. We're not running for president. No changes can come from the top down. We're not stupid. Changes can only come from the bottom up. The masses and the masses alone can make them. If you want to learn something from the 60s, the lesson is simple. Organize the masses of the people. Thank you. Thank you. put the present Democratic administration in Washington, D.C. The whites were evenly divided. It was the fact that you threw 80% of your votes behind the Democrats that put the Democrats in the White House. The, when you see this, you can see that the Negro vote is the key factor. And despite the fact that you are in a position to, to be the determining factor, what do you get out of it? The Democrats have been in Washington, D.C. only because of the Negro vote. They've been down there four years, and all other legislation they wanted to bring up, they brought it up and gotten it out of the way, and now they bring up you. And now they bring up you. You put them first, and they put you last, because you're a chump. A political chump. The party that you bash controls two-thirds of the House of Representatives in the Senate, and still they can't keep their promise to you, because you're a chump. Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government, and that party can't keep the promise that it made to you during election time, and you are dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 818 here in the city of Philadelphia on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening, journalist, associate professor of American Studies at Emerson College in Boston, Professor Roger House, is with us this evening. Uh, involved in the discussion is several of Professor House's published articles, uh, one of them from the Daily Beast I include in the promo for tonight. Uh, here's what Eric Adams and New York's black leaders need to do. Uh, Professor House, uh, you mentioned, again, you mentioned five points. Um, and it's, a, it's something else, too, I want to pull from one of your other articles uh, about uh, what will Eric Adams do to address New York City's pushcart vendor problem. Before we get to that, let me uh, just point out some of the five points that you raise uh, that the leadership needs to address. And again, you use New York City as an example, but these uh, examples that you use can be transposed to any city or any municipality, any location where we populate. Uh, let me read a couple of these. Uh, the first one, political leaders must prioritize an initiative of black wealth creation. 
they should use the district offices, resources, and church relations to encourage people to shift checking and savings accounts to financial institutions like Carver Federal Savings Bank. This would increase the capital availability for loans uh, to applicants for businesses, for homes, for autos, for bank cards. It will enable the historic black bank to bolster hiring and operational resources. In turn, the bank could work with community organizations to educate people on ways to budget, save, invest, and become viable homeowners. Second, leaders should promote a campaign for employment in the skilled fields of the growth industries. They should engage with workforce authorities to run community seminars and online tutorials to expand opportunities for apprenticeships and municipal agencies and commercial vendors. Uh, Third, leaders should use community networks to encourage support of black-owned businesses. It should be aimed at directing the flow of community dollars to their own merchants and artisans. And I'll skip down to five because I think that all of these are good and five kind of puts a nail in the coffin or the nail on it to the head, so to speak. Fifth, leaders must use the bully pulpit to reinforce the black family. In particular, there's an urgent need for attention to the mean uh, financial standing of black men due to generational and systematic racism. Women have endured many economic outrages as well, but the uplift of men is critical to supporting the needs of children and women uh, too often left to carry an undue share of the family obligations. Before we go to the phones, Professor House, talk about those five points that you raised that again, okay, that, I, that go ahead. I, I, I'll, I'll begin with, a, with, with the last around the, the reinforcement of, of, of the black family. Go ahead. And, uh, and when it comes to our, our, um, the alliance of our national political class with the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, this is one of the most challenging issues, yet it's one that is fundamental for our survival, right? Um, the, the progressive agenda is one, you know, is, is one that supports family formations of all kinds, except for the heterosexual African-American family, mm. right? And, you know, and, 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 and un, un, you know, under the agenda, under the agenda, the black male has become something of an endangered species, right? You know, the you know the um, uh, the civil rights you know the civil rights agenda around um, uh, uh, the you know the promotion of the interest of women, the promotion of the interest of children, the promotion of the interest of non-traditional families, you know, all of it tends to leave the status of the black man and young black men uh, in, in isolation. When you look at the indicators of poverty or you look at the indicators of uh, uh, the failure of schools to retain um, black students and such, for the most part, what they're talking about, you know, is you know is, is the expendable black male 
our our family's situation is akin to you know to to you know to the old martial arts and, uh, uh, saying of one hand clapping. Mm. Right? It, it, you can't make you can't make a sound uh, because you know one of the two hands, in this case the you know the male part of the family, you know is in jeopardy, has been in jeopardy. So we really need for the black political class to you know to talk about this to promote this and uh, and to understand that as you know as the financial standing of the black male goes so goes the black family right um, then you know the next you know, the, uh, some of the other issues that that you talked about and, and all of these by the way are inspired by the work of of Amos Wilson mm-hmm. and and his his mo- monumental study on a, a blueprint for, for for black power. Um, he went on for you know uh, his brilliance was you know was was uh, documented in, in, in a thousand pages of thought and works and, and references. I tried to boil it down to you know to five points for you know for for, for the newspaper readers. Um, uh, but you know, but but a priority on, on you know on the creation of black of black wealth of, of black wealth, right? Um, this is you know, the, you know this is critical, and, and and you know and what it is an attempt to do is to recapture our dollars and our you know and our wealth within our broader community structures, right? So that. Um, our you know our savings are you know are in our savings banks or, or or financial institutions, which means that they have an obligation to improve the knowledge of uh, you know, of uh, financial well being, of personal finance within the community, to hold seminars, to create webinars, to you know to uh, uh, to create um, tutorials, to work with cultural leaders, to inform people about better ways to budget, to save, to invest, right, to buy property if they are in, you know, if they are interested in, you know, in that, the things that, you know, that, that, that are, that are critical, right, to your, your, your financial well-being. Um, and I said that the political class in New York, well, they can use their, their offices, their district offices, they can use their political organizations for more than simply getting out to vote or for more than simply selling the liberal agenda of the Democratic Party. They can also use it to motivate people to help themselves. They know it, you know, they know how to contact you, they know how to distribute information, they know how to encourage you around a campaign, a straight political campaign. Well, how about a campaign of economic development? Hmm. How about motivating people using those very same resources, right, to galvanize, ignite, you know, a movement of economic development. And then I talked about a campaign for employment in the skilled fields. This this goes back to the McKenzie report and, you know, uh, the, fear, you know the looming threat of automation in the, you know, in the employment fields where Blacks are predominant. Right, and you know, and the need to um, to upgrade those skills for the broad range of mid-level jobs in the growth industries. And I again, I fault the black political class for having 
no program whatsoever for connecting their communities with the growing industrial policy around clean energy. You know, the, where do you locate the battery factories? Where do you know, who, you know, who, you know, what employment mechanisms are in place? When, when Biden says that the federal government is now going to convert its fleet from gas-powered vehicles, right, to clean energy vehicles, why doesn't the Black political class say, well, we agree with this idea and we want those companies that are selling this car to show us what their program of employment will be for our people? Right. Um, wind energy. The Biden administration just talked about leasing, you know, uh, the oceanfront land across all of the coasts in support of, you know, wind generated energy and industrial policy around clean energy that creates jobs and wealth and investment opportunities. What in you know, the black political class is silent on this issue. <laughs> What ideas do they have for connecting us to, you know, to these new sources of wealth? Right. And then finally, um, much of much of black business is self-employment. And I, I think anywhere upwards of 90 percent of black businesses are skilled people with skilled trades hustling right to make a nut on their own. An individual business. They're all around us but we're disconnected. So my question is, how can the political class use its district offices to connect people? Why not create an Angie's, a type of Angie's list of uh, black uh, service providers, black workers in the gig economies, circulated within the community so that when you're ready to, uh, you know, to, Order, order your meal from you know fr from one restaurant or another, or you're looking for an Uber ride from one place to another. You're not just randomly calling someone. You actually have a list of black service providers, black-owned businesses, right vetted. <laughs> so you know right there in front of you, who you can you know who you can call on, who you can who you can support, who you can give a chance. Right, so often we tend to be so short-tempered with our own service pr providers. They screw up once, or they have a salty attitude at one time, and you never use them and again. Done. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know. So, so anyway, th th these are you know, th th these are some of the things. The final thing I, 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 I say, you know, and I think this is an important one, that we have a lot of black officials as district district attorneys. State Attorney General, uh, officers of the court, and they can all be galvanized to talk about issues of crime, but they are they are silent on the issues that most people that most people have to deal with in order to uh, to develop their financial situation, right? And that's legal subjects of you know of finance. How do you deal with contracts? How do you deal with insurance? What are the obligations, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, under insurance for healthcare, uh, for renters, for car owners? What, you know, what are the rights of tenants? What are the rights of small, you know, of small property landlords? This awareness of civil and commercial law 
is as important to our survival in the 21st century as the, you know, enormous attention that is given, right, to issues of, uh, you know, of, of, of criminal justice or police use of, of excessive force, right? Um, few of us, few of us will encounter a situation like George Floyd. All of us will encounter situations of making decisions around health insurance, uh, car insurance, um, you know, renting an apartment or signing a contract for work or, or you know, or, 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 or some other, you know, or, or some other activity. And our political class does very little to educate us to be prepared to make these kinds of decisions. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Richard, uh, one other comment. Uh, well, let me go to the phone and take a couple of calls, and I'll jump back to you, Richard. Uh, let's go to 267. 267? Hey, uh, good evening, um, Elliot. And, uh, good evening, Richard. I want to say good evening to your guests. I'm not going to be long. I just wanted to add to the conversation. I'm listening to your guests talk about these politicians who have been nothing but a problem to our community since I've been voting. Um, and it appears that, you know, we, you know, and like this program is called time for an awakening. That means that we're trying to come from a different mindset. Now I heard the mistake of calling these black politicians leaders. They're not leaders. We vote for them to serve our community. So they're actually servants and we have to get out of that mindset that we're going to pull the lever because we want a particular person out of office or we're going to pull the lever because our, our, our mothers and fathers died. For the, we got to get out of that mindset. And it sickens me because they know, they, these politicians know exactly what they're doing. They lie to us, they get in office, and they take our vote for granted since I've been voting. The thing about it, we as a community have to get smarter because most of those white politicians know those people that vote them in, they want to see a return on their vote. And 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 but we're the only people we we, we look for we, we hope we we vote and we are hope for a return and we don't get nothing. And so it's actually our fault and not the politicians. Because that politician is completely controlled by an outside source that don't give a damn about our communities. But we are the ones that have to, like, get out of that party, the Democratic Party, and I'm going to say it, get out of it, show them if you want our votes, then you put somebody in there would address our needs. What this guy Biden has done so far in eight months, and I know you're talking locally, but it happens locally, nationally, and all over the place. These people get in office. They refuse to serve our community. We still see the same police behavior. We still see the same discrimination. We still see an Asian hate bill that actually was targeting us. And our black politicians sit back and they say nothing. And so, you know, we, the community, have to come with a different mindset and say the hell with these people, man, and get out of that party, pull out massively until they're ready to play ball with our community, the way they're playing ball with everybody else. And, you know, and, and that's that's the thing that frustrated me about politics. 
It's not them. They are, they know what they're doing. We're the ones that don't know what we're doing. And that's why I became an independent voter since I've seen Bill Clinton spitting in the face of our people. And our people still call him the same, the first black president. So, you know, I, it's our community, man. Malcolm, Brother Malcolm said it just like you heard during the, uh, the break. We're political chumps. And they know it. And even the black politician knows that. And that's why they continue doing what they do. So, you know, until we get serious and come out of this slave mentality, thinking these people are leaders, which they are not, they're servants because we put them in there to represent us, which they do not. We got we to gotta do something different, brother. And until we do something different, uh, we're going to keep getting insanity, repeating the same mistakes and expecting the results to be differently. So I hear what you're saying. It sounds great, but ain't nothing changes if nothing changes. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just going to leave it at that. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll listen to your response uh, after I hang up. Thank you. Thanks for your call, brother. Professor House, any comment before we move to the next call? I... Uh... I can hear the frustration and I can appreciate the, you know, the sense of frustration and, uh, and even, and even resentment. Um, I can say that if you understand our history, what, what, what's going on should not come as a great surprise. Mm-hmm. Wow. Fact, okay. It, you know, it, it, um, um, it's, you know, it's been impossible it will continue. It, it will continue to be so. We can only do the best, you know, the, the best that we can, and we can do better. Um, I, you know, I would not support leaving the the, Dem- the Democratic Party. I, you know, I I don't think that. I think that while it may have a short term benefit, you know, of feeling, uh, you know, the sense of relief. And release um, that it will have um, long-term benefits that will make things even, even, e- even worse. Right then, then uh, I mean, if you feel as though your interests are marginalized now, um, you will be totally walked over. Right? If you if if you uh, if if you pull if you pull a stunt like that, what I can say is we have to do both. Right? We have to both be part of the mainstream party. Pick and choose better our issues and battles within that party, and refocus our attention on building something meaningful and constructive in select select communities. Have a dual project, right? A dual project uh, within the mainstream politics and within the politics of 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 our own. So far, we have put too much emphasis and too many of our eggs in, 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 in one basket. And I think we have, after Obama, I think we have achieved as much as, as we can, as we can expect from, you know, from, from that strategy. Uh, there's nowhere else to go. We have exhausted that strategy. <laughs> so we have to begin to broaden, broaden us, our, our tactics broaden our strategy, get off the streets, get off the streets, get off the streets, 
right? It's, you know, it, it has become a knee-jerk, you know, a knee-jerk uh, knee tactic and strategy that, you know, that has been drained of any real power. It, um, it pains me. It pains me to watch our young people and especially our, our young women marching in the streets to confront police officers in paramilitary gear, that is not where we want them to be. That is not where we want to be. And over and over and over, being traumatized, being beaten, being gassed. When we could take some of that same energy and dedication and commitment and put it towards projects that are going to build something that can be sustainable, that can enrich our communities, that can employ our people, and still continue to vote for the parties and the peoples in, 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 the, main, in the mainstream politics. We can do it. We can do both. So hang in there. Yeah. Great, Richard. Can, yes. can I inject um, something? You know. And I have a question in relationship as it relates to New York, but as you were saying, it's, and it's um, another um, author, professor that we interviewed, um, Professor Earl Henderson, makes the point of, you know, our political, being able to utilize our culture as a basis of power, right? Um, and, and how you've described it earlier, that it can, if we utilize as a political entity, our culture is a basis of power. It has um, international um, from a um, using Dr. Wilson, you know, um, Professor Wilson's um, blueprint for black power. It has international um, reach, but it's a matter of politicizing our culture and controlling it. Um, it brings me to that, the, the Kush Jackson plan and the people assembly, which you were just saying in the sense, because I don't see that we have as a political class, an uh, intermediary between us as the cultural political power uh, people and the political machinery to where that development or um, um, political education is taking place. That's the, that's the thought, hopefully that was cogent. But out in New York, I was wondering, in relationship to what you're laying on from a local perspective, is um do you have you had a chance to have any observation around what Charles Barron has done um as an alderman in, in in the political machinery in New York? And if you had, is that somewhat an example of what you're talking about? Hopefully, you know, in really in utilizing the political machinery to deal with the economic development of the district um and, with that, that that they that they control. Yeah, I I can't speak to um, specific um, programs or policies of um, Councillor um, uh, Barron and, uh, and 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 his wife. I know that they um, that they've been longtime um, stewards, right in you know in 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 in, in, in the community, um, and I know that. Um, and to some extent, also Eric Adams. They came out of the Brooklyn, uh, uh, the, the Brooklyn um, uh, activities that go back to her, you know, to Herbert Daughtry, 
right? And, and, and his movement. And, you know, and what they were able to do that a lot of others weren't was to, you know, you know was to win uh, mainstream power um, through un unorthodox means. So I think in part, uh, yes, you know, uh, you know, yes, they, you know, it is, it is an example of, you know, of uh, community activism that, you know, that also plays a role in, in, uh, uh, in, in, in mainstream politics. What I don't know is the economic program, mm. uh, you know, not behind, you know, and uh, economic ideas of, you know, of, of, of Barron. Um, and, and, you know, and, and I can, I can point to one particular, one particular item that is relevant uh, for, for the New York City Black political class going forward. And it came out of the, uh, the city council, and I believe that that, that Councilor Barron was, uh, you know, was um, in office at the time. And that's the uh, the, the pushcart bill. Uh, you know, uh, I, I write about it. What what right. what what happened is the uh, you know for the first time in generations, the uh, the city council expanded the uh, uh, the, the number of uh, of pushcart licenses made made available to to potential vendors. Uh, it had been, it's an issue that has been um, constrained and contentious uh, for, for many decades. And because of uh, issues of race and, you know, uh, racial decisions, uh, is issues of, uh, of economic trends, uh, the Black community has been shut out of participating in this aspect of street level retail uh, trade and, and commerce, and what has what and what has developed in, uh, in its place is a kind of insider network, primarily um, immigrants uh, who hold on to these licenses and then uh, trade on them within within their ethnic group. So, for the first time in some years, uh, the city council uh, you know, approved the expansion of uh, of pushcart licenses for four thousand to be. To be distributed over over ten years, about four four hundred four hundred per year. But the way the bill was formed and the way it was sold was as you know was as a favor to to immigrants, you know, uh, Hispanic immigrants, Asian immigrants. There was no discussion, no centrality on trying to get these you know, these licenses to earn money. Right, a legal means of creating a small business. There was no discussion, there was no promotion within the black political class to get these into the hands of black youth, aspiring black uh, traders, businessmen, or even to try to associate it with important programs of uplift like the my brother's my brother's keeper program. You remember, you know, Obama uh, touted that as a way of helping young men to get on their feet, to find their way, to make a living. So I thought, you know, uh, New York has a chapter, and I thought this would be a, you know, a fine example of using, you know, in some small measure, black political power to help build black you know, economic clout. You have something that is new, an ability to earn money through these vendors' licenses. You have young men 
who are in dire financial condition, young black men. And yet you have a city council that designates or tries as hard as it can to designate, right, this public privilege to immigrants and to continue a process, a pattern of shutting the black commercial class out of a street level, legitimate way of making money, right? At the same time that they're talking about, right, um, stronger enforcement of street level crime. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I, I'm not sure what Councilor Barron had to say or thinks about an issue like that. But you know, that is an, an example of a, an ordinance that came out of the city council that um, that he sits on. Yeah, you know, he's been on. So we, I'll reach out to him because I, I was unfamiliar uh, with, um, you know, what's going on in New York around this vendors thing. I, I do, and uh, Richard can also attest to it. We had that same situation here in Philadelphia, maybe, what, 20 years ago, Richard, 25 years ago, when Street went in? Right. And Street went in, John Street went in as black mayor, and he came from uh, him and his brother. They were street vendors. Right, for those black vendors. And if you remember what happened to those street vendors, they, they almost disappeared. I'm talking about with legal licenses. They were replaced by Asians and others. Now you walk the streets of Philadelphia, you're hard-pressed to find a legitimate, and I'm talking about a licensed black vendor on the street. Most of them is unlicensed. And you point out in your article, uh, uh, Professor House, and I'll read what you state here about New York. Uh, uh, Hold it here. Um, The new law allows Adams to designate hundreds of pushcart vendors to ignite a new era of black commercial activity. Street vendors uh, generate more than $78.5 million in legal wages and an estimated $20 million in underground venues, uh, revenues, I'm sorry, according to the city council report. Currently, the city issues about 4,000 renewable pushcart licenses and maintains a waiting list of 1,500 applicants and stopped accepting new applicants long ago. So, I see that this thing is a big issue in New York now, but in Philadelphia, they dealt with this about 25 years ago and cut the legs out from under the economic base in black communities. So when you see uh, violence in Philadelphia being off the hook, and then you see these black elected officials act like that they don't know what to do, and their solution is to have a gun buyback, uh, bring your guns to the local church, that's their only solution. (laughs) <laughs> when they cut their legs out from under the black community dealing with this years ago. And we see now that it's coming to the fore in New York city. Well, I hope they don't come up with the same solution. They came up with Philadelphia with, although I think that they will, because you have a lot of, uh, uh, other nationalities, Asians, Latinos, and other that have taken control of the economy of black communities. And now you got a new group that Philadelphia brought in here. The Afghan, uh, uh, I'll use uh, uh, my term, the Afghan Uncle Times that worked with the United States to undermine their own people, now they're in Philadelphia. So you can best believe that they'll be getting those licenses, and next thing you know, they'll be starting an economy off the black backs in their communities. But uh, let let me, I'm going to go to a couple of these other calls and get them involved. Let's go to... uh, 
Apex, North Carolina. See what they have a question or comment. North Carolina. Hey, brother. Yes, sir. I was just um listening in, but I appreciate your um the 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 um the, the information. Um, but um, like you said, and like the um author was saying, we really have to work on ourselves, get our mindset. And I know you've done programs before about how we have to get our mindset correct so we learn how to um, do and um, and help ourselves and stop waiting on other people to help us. Because nobody's is, as um, John Henry Clark says, that we don't have any friends, so we got to do it for ourselves. But I'm just listening in, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you for your contribution. Uh, before we go to our next call, uh, you can get involved in the conversation while he's still with us. Uh, our special guest this evening is journalist, associate professor of American studies at Emerson College in Boston, Professor Roger House. Uh, I highlight several of his articles in the announcement for the program this evening. But uh, Google his name, Professor Roger House, and look at some of his articles in The Hill and in The, the Daily Beast uh, dealing with this particular topic that we're talking about. Let's go to 404 in, in Atlanta. 404. Yeah, how y'all hear me, brother? Yes, sir. Can y'all hear me? Yes. Hey, professor, a professor. I'm down here in Georgia, right outside Atlanta. Okay, you absolutely right, man. And you got 10 counties in Georgia where black electric uh, sheriffs in 10 counties outside Atlanta, man. So you right, professor. I've been telling Elliot them and everybody up north, Philadelphia, Chicago, come on back down here, man. Most of the people from down here, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, they want to stay up in the cold, man. Okay, it's particular. <laughs> yes, sir. Particularly Philadelphia. I read a story where a lady was raped on the train, man, and nobody did nothing. Okay, on the S E P T, whatever y'all call it up there, a lady got raped on the train. Nobody called nine one one, man. Nobody even tried to help that lady, man. But uh, hey, professor, it's gonna take a fire something to, to bring these Negroes. A lot of them moving back down here. And even uh, South Georgia, where some sisters started uh, Freedom Town, okay, mm-hmm. with nine with uh, a hundred people. So I mean, they go eventually. You have to come on back down here, y'all. Elliot, Richard, you just talking about this cold up there. <laughs> what you waiting on, bro? <laughs> well, wait a minute, Professor House is in Boston. What about him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on down. We need all y'all smart ones. Like Professor, come on down here. We don't need no dumb Negroes. Eh? <laughs> like you say, Professor. Professor. You yeah. said stop marching. Get out the street, man. I agree, bro. Okay, so you say get out the street. What 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 can we replace that with this marching that all these fake leaders keep trying to do, recreate nineteen sixty three. Besides marching, what else can we be doing besides moving back down here and controlling our own destiny? I agree. There you go. There you, go. you know, you're going to be um ground zero by the uh by the mid part of next year. Uh, you you know, you uh, George will make history as things as things are going. Uh, we're running, you know, for maybe having the uh, you know the only state with a black senator and a black uh, mm-hmm. and a black governor, and not simply yes, uh, not 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 simply figureheads, you know, that that are put into office by uh, you know by by a, um, uh, you know by a coalition outside of their community, right? But you know. But by you know, a very strong community of their own, that you know that that they have to answer to. This is an important 
you know, and, you know, and, an important campaign. It's it's an important year, and it's not simply a a Georgia issue. This is a an issue for you know for a black a black concern all across the country, and the black political class, the Congressional Black Caucus, you know, they sh- you know they should be concentrating their resources on making this happen right now, planning it out, right. Uh, thinking about ways of encouraging people, right, to relocate there, to take part, to take part in what's going on, right? It is, it is a project, right? It is a campaign, and it's one, it's one that we can win. It's one that we can win, and and and, and once we do, uh, all kinds, you know, all kinds of good things can happen, right? So. Uh, I think that the the state elections in Georgia are, you know, are the most critical elections facing us, right? Fa- you know, fa- facing us uh, at at this time. And in the north, it's New York City. Forget about Boston. Don't e- don't you know? Don't don't even think about Boston. Boston Boston is what happens to black politics when they don't take care of business. Yes, sir. Even Tom, hey, 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 Professor, even Tom Brady got the hell out of Boston to come down Tom Brady. <laughs> well, on that note, thanks for your call, bro. I'll leave it right there. I love y'all, man. Love y'all. Peace out. Right. Let's go to Florida, Pompano Beach, Florida. Question or comment? You there? Let's put them back on hold. Uh, let's go to uh, 678. Georgia, six, seven, eight. Six, six, seven, eight. They must be listening to the music there. Let's go to, uh, <laughs> let's go to Philadelphia, two, six, seven. Philly. Hello? Yes, sir. Oh, this is 215, Brother Elliot. Okay. Hey, how you doing, man? Good. All right. Hey, Brother Richard, and good evening, Professor House. How you doing? Fine, thank you. Uh, I'm glad to hear that, Professor House. Our praises be to Allah. You know, Professor House, you made a comment a few minutes ago when you said that young black men, and I guess you could say the same to my older black men, in, in, in dire financial needs, right? Yeah. Well, here in Philadelphia, and, and, and like I'm like in, I, I guess pretty much most cities in this country, our black politicians, like you said, the political class, to use your terms, they don't have a clue or don't have a plan because they see this condition young black men here in Philadelphia and I'm and, and Professor House they instead us here in Philadelphia. I've been I've been raising hell for years and and, and one of our uh, ancestors, elders who's an ancestor now, you know, a, a long time talk uh, black for the black talk radio, he was always frustrated. He says with the dire condition black men in for the, for the last ten years or so, maybe longer, Professor House, you done had a predominantly black city council in Philadelphia, but black people's constantly at the at the bottom, predominantly, you know, and and these Negroes, male and female, it's the city council. You can take count one hand and don't have to use all the fingers on one hand to, 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 to point out the ones that's really committed to our people. With all them blacks on city council, and, and that's like I said, it's been like that for well over a decade, and yet. All they can offer these black men is a, and, and, and young black men and women is a cookout. 
You know, it's insulting. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm professor. I know you think I'm lying. I think I'm lying. In the summertime, these Negroes, what they do, with all these young black men and women standing on the corner doing nothing, idle time. They say idle time is the devil's workshop, right? You get in their trouble. If they have some kind of job training or, or, or things of employment, they have a cookout. And, and we'll make it even even more disingenuous. They don't even pay for the food. The cookout is through donations from supermarkets, churches, things like that, and they take credit for it. So they don't sit there and say they're giving a cookout at the uh, park out here in Philadelphia, West Philly, or, or they're giving a cookout or whatever outside the rec center, whatever the case may be, and yet they're not even paying for it. But yet, and, and they give a cookout telling these young black men and women, come get a free hamburger, hot dog, or water ice. I'm going to say myself, I don't need you, I don't need you to, for, for, for no damn hot dog or hamburger. I can cook out my own stuff. I want to, I, I got a grill in my back. I don't need you for no cookout. Provide these young black men who want some job training. Give them some, give them some, some opportunities to get off that corner so they can make be productive citizens. I mean, these people are insulting what they do, man. And, and, it's been, and it's been like that, Professor House, for the last several years. When I, I'm 60 year, I'm a 60-year-old black man. When I grew up in the 1970s, we had summer jobs in this city for black men and women. During the summertime, during the whole summer before school started back, you could work from, from June all the way up to maybe the last week in August. You know, before school started, that you had money. They've been got rid of the summer jobs, and, and, and guess who was employed by that? During that time, it was mainly black and brown young people that was employed by the city. You know, working at police stations, fire stations, rec centers, you know, supermarkets, you name it. They had all kinds of jobs, you know, and they was making a paycheck. And, and, and what made it so special at that time, Professor House, there was young black people at that time, like myself, you was learning financial literacy because you had opened up a bank account. I mean, we had, we had a bank in this called PSFS, and that's where we start our first bank account. We, we, we opened up our bank account with nickels and dials because at that time they gave you a bank passbook, you know, and you, and you opened up your first bank account, but it taught you at that time financial literacy. You started saving, you started learning the, the, the art of saving, investing in saving, compound interest, things like that. You know, these black politicians across this country, man, especially here in Philadelphia, they really fell the black community professor house, and, 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 but see, because we, because we operate in a political ignorance, a lot of us, we keep voting these same zones and over and over again, and as Brother Ralph said before me, you you, 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 you keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's, it's insanity. We expect different results. We keep putting these same zones in office, and like and like Brother Elliot said to you a minute ago, he's right. You had a black, besides the streets, you had a black politician who's now retired, city councilwoman Marion Tasco. She's a black woman up in the Mount Airy section, right up here near where I live at. She did all she could, Professor House, to destroy the black vendors. Up here in Mount Airy, she, she ran down there. Every black vendor out of, out of, uh, out of, out of the Mount Airy, Germantown area. Black, these were black brothers and sisters without them making business, providing for their families, and, and selling a fool, whatever selling. Yeah, she did her best to get them out of there. And, who, and who's in the, who's in them areas now? Like Elliot said, you got everybody else that came in those areas down and took over now. Latinos, Asians, Indians, you name it. And like he just said, Afghanis can be don't be the next one. And I don't have nothing against these people at all. You know, I'm a humanitarian, but damn, look out for your own first, man. And this is what they do. These people constantly work against the interests of the people, man. They do it all the time. And there's no getting around that. Uh, in Philadelphia, that is the norm. So again, we politically ignorant, so we keep putting these same Jones in office, and we and we keep wondering why things not changing. I mean, that's just the reality of it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your comments, bro.
Hey, you're welcome. Put me here. I'll listen to the rest of the show, bro. All right. All right. You know, uh, before we go to our next call, um, Professor House, you mentioned that uh, that marching around out there in the streets is, uh, you know, that should go by the boards. I think that you, I'm just using uh, my term, layman's terms. But mm. but our caller uh, from New York City, one of his favorite men, his favorite pastime is marching all around. Uh, <laughs> let's go to him. Let's go to New York City. Six four six four six. Hey, what, 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 what's happening, Richard Elliott? Into your guests. Listen, you know, I'm just going to come out and say it. I hope that your guest doesn't think Eric Adams is going to make a difference in New York City for Black folks because I don't know Eric for over thirty years. He ain't going to do a damn thing for black folks to change their condition, bro. I'm sorry. Well, I'm no, sorry to but, but, tell you. But let me, let me just jump in here, and then you can continue your thought. If you read that article in The Beast, The Daily Beast, he's saying what Eric Adams and some of these new black politicians that went in should do. He didn't say that he was going to do it. He's saying in the article uh-huh. what they should be doing. But go ahead. I, I didn't want to just – I just wanted to throw that no, in. No, no. With the analysis of what they should do, they don't have that type of constitution within themselves to do it. It's just like you were saying about what's going on in Philadelphia. I mean, you know, it did he threw me for even a, a bigger loop when he started talking about what's going on in Georgia. Because Georgia, like Texas, is really a test case to voter suppression and how voter suppression is improving from the perspective of the Republican Party. Because it looks like in the narrative that they put out there is that, you know, they fight back. But the reality is, in all honesty, they're not fighting back. Because if they was fighting back, the people in higher places like Congress and the Senate wouldn't have passed the necessary laws for it to happen. The reality is this. Democracy or so-called democracy in this country is finished. Because of one thing and one thing that unfortunately we as a people don't understand. White people have to protect the position of whiteness in this country. And that's what they're going to do. Unfortunately, black people don't understand those principles. So they think that everything is going to play out on the perspective, well, if you just give us the opportunity and you let us do the necessary things to move forward the democracy, then we'll be able to fulfill the promise of democracy in this country. That's BS. And unfortunately, we don't understand that. That's why, if you be honest and we be truthful, there's probably only been one or two black leaders who have been elected into high political positions over the last 10 years that done did a damn thing for black folks. 
And I could be honest with you. And when I say high positions, I'm talking about mayors. There ain't no governors or anything of that nature. And the only black person that I can really think of that has really done something is over there in Newark, Ron Baraka. You can't say to me that the black mayors in Atlanta and these other places have moved forward, Atlanta on the level to where as Marion Maynard Jackson left Atlanta? No, come on, let's be honest. And unfortunately, we live under this myopic notion that black people are going to come into political office and do something for black people. Hey, man, I'm telling you, let's look at it. Let's be honest about it. Ain't none of them going to do nothing for black folks. And the only one who has done anything of decency, and I'll say it again, is Ron Baraka. I mean, before Eric Adams could get in the office, he pandered to the agents in regards to the elite schools. Nah, man. You know, unfortunately, we as a people are in trouble. And sadly, we don't even know it. We don't even realize it. So if we think that the vote is going to get us out of this condition, I'm sorry to say it, that that's the fallacy. And, you know, I think a year from now, hopefully your guests will come back on. And, and my, my point will be proven by what happened in the midterm elections because of voter suppression and all of the other things at play. And the fact, the fact, the fact that the Democrats are not going to do the necessary things to put forward the necessary bills to make it to where as democracy so-called is protected. And, you know, that's just the reality. And no, Stacey Abrams is not going to win in Georgia. Don't let nobody fool you because they already set it up to where they'll rig it to where she can't win like three years ago. Well, well, if things play out as you say, then we're really no, uh, no worse off than, than where we are now. But, you know, what I'm trying to point out is the potentials to, you know, to, to move things beyond, beyond where we are now. And, you know, and looking at the, at the different political actors and structures that, you know, that, that are beginning to, to fall into place uh, for whatever reasons that could be, that could be better utilized. Uh, you know, I mean, we can't, you know, we can't simply sit back and, and expect it to happen of its, of its own accord. Absolutely not. You know, and we can't yeah, simply. Can I, can I ask and, you this question, sir? When sure. you say, could you clarify something for me? Because this is. is one of the biggest problems that I have with with black folks is when you say us moving forward to achieve yeah. what? Really, in all honesty, what are we achieving by moving forward? A closeness to whiteness, which we ain't never going to have to be in better positions to serve white folks? Because 
you're not building any institutions for black folks. You're not trying to separate and be in a position to sustain yourself as a people like every other group is. We're the only people who built this damn thing that cannot say that we have a community to where as we control the economy of that community. Every other ethnic group can say that. Yeah, but if you we were listening to what... Who can't say that? So but if you, but if you were, li- wait a minute. If you, if you were listening to what been stated the whole program, that's what we should be doing. That's what he said in the articles. Yes, when he, I, when I, I read to you, when I read to you that article um, uh, that was in the Hill, when he encapsulated saying an autonomous state does not mean that uh, people would abandon areas where they live at in other areas of the country. It does not mean that all blacks would live in a representative state. It simply means that those in positions of support would support the idea to consider that as an option. Because other people, the notion of a sovereign ethnic state is well within the historic experience of America. Other marginalized groups have used minority majority status to their advantage since 1900. And he points out Mormons. Asian Americans and Hispanics in New Mexico. So we can do this. Yeah, we just can't folks, sit back and, and just complain about the situation. Just like no, 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 so Cop, just like Kwame Ture says in that clip that I played. Our people are not stupid. We're not stupid. No, I'm not saying Elliot. What I'm saying is that our people don't view our predicament <laughs> in that manner. We look forward to being as one would say and inclusion and integration with white folks. We don't think about our own communities. We don't think about doing the necessary things to separate ourselves from white folks. I'm just sorry to say it. So I would hope that would be the way that we're moving forward as a collective, as a people. But our goal is to be integrated into whiteness. But I you, mean, that's just the reality. Wait a minute. Uh, uh, make your no, comment, I, Professor, I, I, and then we're going to move on. Yeah, go, go ahead, Richard. Just put me on hold, Elliot. All right. Go ahead. Uh, what were you getting ready to say, Richard? I, 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 it's, I don't find it worth responding. Well, okay. I mean, I, okay. Let me move on to, let's go to Detroit. And it looks like Professor Henderson is online. Professor Henderson. Hey there, Brother Elliot. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm glad hey, to join the conversation Richard. with uh, Professor Roger House of Emerson, uh, <laughs> Emerson College of Boston. How you doing? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've been listening to it. And, um, and, and hey there, uh, Brother Richard. Uh, it's so good to hear both of you. Um, and I want to just go straight to the uh, uh, one of the points that Brother raised. Uh, I read in his article. Thanks so much for sharing it, uh, Brother Elliot. Um, in, uh, in in Dr. House's uh, article, um, uh, th- this is my concern, Dr. House. I sometimes propose to folks like um, this is like 20 years ago. I thought, where do we focus on um, the, where blacks stands in investment in nanotechnology? That was big, probably 20 or 30 years ago. The, the, the science of making things small, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is what gives rise to a lot of what we see in uh, microtechnology from cell phones to iPads, et cetera. 
One of the things that struck me, and I talked with uh, uh, the late Amos Wilson over the years and other folks, um, I'm struck that folks sometimes look for economic solutions for people who are not grounded in economics. They're not economists, for example, or they're not uh, a business person. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not mad at them because they're raising issues that are important and economics, uh, sometimes you could argue, is too important to be left to the economists. You know what I'm saying? So I appreciate the political, the social, and I really appreciate what Brother Richard said about these cultural aspects of it too. But, um, but, but Dr. Hunt, if you would, I, I would like sometimes, uh, and I'd like your reflections on this, if folks could say, when they propose interventions in black communities, one, I'm not looking for economic solutions from political leaders, uh, but I, can, I appreciate that they can push them forward. Don't get me wrong. But if somebody could say, uh, the, the prospect I had for 10 years ago would have suggested investment in these sectors whereby black folks would have received this type of return on their investment from 10 years ago. And then say, what I forecast for the next 10 years suggests this type of investment. And I want to be clear, for black folks at different economic levels, I'm not trying to get, so I appreciate what Brother Elliot said, and I don't want to seem to minimize that. I'm not talking about street vendor economies or the economies of poor people who just trying to be stable. Okay. If, if, as we study, we, we, we appreciate that, that groups move by their middle classes. Folks may not like that, and it may not be fair, but I think that's the reality of it, that groups move by their middle classes. So uh, what would you say would be that sort of investment strategy from even if you go 10 years ago, I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but if you said from 10 years ago, if we had invested in this, and here I'm talking about uh, only in New York, because I don't do that one size fits all, the economic realities of New York, or like that in LA or Detroit or Cleveland or Atlanta or, 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 or Boogaloosa, Louisiana, for that matter. We're talking about where black folks are. That's the one part of it, uh, Brother House, that comes out of a reading of your piece. But then the other part is, is a specific one. What would you say about these venture capital enterprises in developing black business? Because I get so tired, Brother House, and I listen to them fraternally as a brother who's trying to listen uh, and, and take notes from 30 years ago. Um, the people who got these economic solutions, so-called, from Claude Anderson to the rest, much of their economic solutions seems to be buy my book and this and that. I want to ask you, what about venture capital, what about venture capital, black venture capital funds like the Black Angel Tech Fund? Or if you can tell me about the Harlem Capital Partners Fund, are they doing work in New York where you see they can actually develop capital enterprise for black folks so you can have economic sector folks talking about economic solutions instead of talking about what all these politicians not doing, but there's an economic energy in black communities that's been there since we've been freed, uh, since we got, since we fought a revolution to get our liberation here. And, and that part is what I wish that you would have tapped on. I appreciate what you said about those five points from Brother Wilson, but if you could be more specific about capital, black-oriented capital ventures programs in New York, like our Harlem Capital Partners, I ain't got no relationship with them, don't get me wrong, brother. I'm not espoused them one way around, but I know something about venture capital when we talk about economic development and uh, the, the Black Angel Tech Forum, Clio Capital, uh, Diversity City Ventures. These, this is the type of language I wish I would hear more when people are talking about 
actual black development, uh, economic development um, uh, in, 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 in either the U.S. or their particular uh, 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 city. I hope, that's, I hope those two are, are fair questions. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm really trying to, to get a sense of your uh, – uh, I really want to just uh, – uh, well, your expertise. I, I read your piece in the Daily Beast, and, and, and it's thought-provoking, and I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and and I appreciate the question. Uh, just off the um, off the top of my head, and the top of the head is is beginning to get a little bit fuzzy. I've, I've been going on for about two and a half hours now, um, but what I could but what I could say is at, at the end of the piece, I, um, I I I talk about a number of things. Um, one is the need um, for the formation of of independent think tanks. Um, to research and develop ideas around, you know, around uh, uh, new approaches or or um, uh, uh, potential field uh, uh, approaches towards e- economic development. I, I myself wouldn't, you know, w- wouldn't pretend to, you know, to have a, uh, an, you know, um, a commercial or an industrial development plan for New York City in, in, in my hip pocket. I would, you know, I, I, even if I did, no, nobody would take it seriously. But you know, you know, but if you know, if there was a think tank that you know that could look into the issue and p- propose ideas and and publicize ideas um, around the types of investment endeavors that you're talking about, it would be it would be helpful. If uh, political leaders like Eric Adams, right, as the likely next mayor of the city, or a Stacey Abrams, or not even, or, you know, or not even Stacey, but a, 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 um, a, a Senator Warnock, was to call a, a conference of leaders in the business sector, right, to discuss ideas, you know, to, you know, to, to, ma- to better manage capital, to attract capital. For the purpose of meaningful investments, you know, to help develop their community. Well, that's that's the kind of thing that, you know, that I, I could see being done, and you know, and some fruitful um, um, outcomes, right, uh, uh, coming, you know, coming about as as a result. I mean, I, I think it would be a mistake, and it is a mistake, to rely on any one particular um, scholar or media figure. Or politician to come to come up with the ideas. The problems are are large, but there are a lot of smart people out there, right? And you know, and it, it, and and what the political class can do is help to organize the connections, to bring people together, to be open to independent think tanks to come up with ideas. This is how the mainstream economy does it. What I was talking uh, when I was talking about the. Uh, the 2018 McKinsey report on the threats of automation to um, to the black workforce. Well, McKinsey is you know is simply a research arm of mainstream commerce. They're doing you know they're putting you know they're putting their people to work, looking into questions of ethnic economic development and the impact on you know on black labor by you know by automation, and they're promoting it. Right, they're talking about ideas. They're talking about ways of of meeting the challenge, and within the black community, the black you know, and especially for our black political class, we need more of that. 
we need, you know, we, so that when so that when someone raises a question about uh, you know, attracting investment, you know, and and building uh, commercial structures in realistic ways, well, well, you have, you know, you have a resource that you can go to, people who've been working on those questions, right, and you know, who have some 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 credibility in that way. So it's so in my piece. That's how I deal with with, with, with questions like that, right? I, I don't try to uh, to provide the answers, but to point to ways that answers could be found or, or, or developed. I, I hope that helps out. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. House, and thank you, Brother Ellie and Brother Richard, for uh, for the program. Thank you for your call, Professor. Yes, sir. So, uh, Brother Ellie, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to uh, begin begin to rein it in. Oh, listen, we we go rain it in, but uh, let's see. Let's. I think we got one more call. Let's see your question or comment for our guest. Caller, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Caller, are you there? Caller, let's put them back on hold. Professor House, you know it was it was an interesting discussion tonight. Um, I'm I'm, uh, I'm always intrigued when we have these discussions among people that's on the college campuses. That's uh-huh. that's uh, that deal with uh, some of our younger minds, and especially black minds, that are trying to establish themselves and, and move forward. Um, and they can help other people at all stratas of life. Whether you're talking about a person that uh, from the inner city that haven't went to school, that that doesn't have a marketable skill, or whether you're talking about somebody at at some of the top universities in this country or even outside this country, we all have to look as a collective mentality to help our people move forward. Some of our people don't grasp that, but a lot of them do. And if we look at history as a teacher, we can see that most of our people that have tried to move our people forward had a collective mentality. They wanted to help our people. Some of them sacrificed their own lives for people that they didn't even know. And I'm talking about for some of our people that they didn't know. So, you know, the articles that you've written uh, kind of spurs uh, 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 intellectual thought. Uh, I hope this show puts these things out in the marketplace of ideas, so to speak, and we can establish these think tanks uh, in every city. We have to come up with, with solutions. We can't sit back and just, uh, dwell on the problem. We can point out the problem. We can expose the contradictions, but we do have to come up with solutions. It's we don't have any alternative. Richard, before we leave, any comment? I, I just want to say I appreciate that you uh, presented a at least a, you know, I'm gonna call it a grand strategy um, in relationship to the you know looking at the these two different areas and looking at Georgia specifically. Um, and I, and I just hope that we can. Continue to come up with, with these ideals of how do we um, deal with this political class, but more how do we um, become cultural change agents to where we are the political class that gives the direction that is tr- towards true um, power. That is the only way we can be able to um, come out of this. Uh, it, it just. Um, these ideals helps us be able to fashion that if we're listening and and reading your articles and then having this discussion 
it just reinforces that um, another way we can be able to um, push this envelope to be able to get towards this um, power that we need in order to um, not, as you started out saying about what Dr. Clark said about the uh, 21st century, um, that we are not ready, that we can get ready, at least as we move, we're almost in a quarter of the 22nd century, towards the 22nd century. Well, uh, thank you. Know, thank, thank, thank you for um, for having me on, on on the show. It's been it's been wonderful being able to uh, to share some of the ideas and hearing ideas from 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 the others, uh, from the audience, you guests. I hope to um, collect the essays in a booklet on um, the need for radical change in, in black politics. Um, maybe by the uh, mid part of, ne- of next year. Uh, not a book. Because a book is something that uh, take, you know takes an awfully long time and nobody reads it. Mm-hmm. But I think, <laughs> but I think a booklet, a booklet might have a chance of you know of sort of organizing, organizing um, uh, the different projects that I've been I've been writing about and giving it a um, a larger a larger theme and hopefully application in time for the the, the Georgia imperative. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, it's uh, it's the most important. It's the, you know, it's the most important political campaign uh, that we face today. It gives us a real chance to begin to gain political control of a state. And once you have a state, you have a basis for, you know, for exercising power or leveraging power in a lot of ways that you, you did not have before. So thank you again for being on the show and sharing some of the ideas. Professor Alsa, I'll look to reach out to you again in the future because I know you're not going to stop writing. And uh, maybe when we have uh, reach out and get the uh, uh, Representative Barron back on, maybe you can come on also. I look forward to it. Talk to you soon. Richard. Yes. Uh, before we leave this evening, let me let me say something in reference to uh, uh, looking at what we discussed tonight and kind of putting it, uh, I guess in a, a framework, so to speak, uh, because we have a lot, we had a lot of people come on this evening, uh, with different perceptions on, uh, a problem that we all face and that we're facing as a whole. Um, we can look at some of the people that have been, and our people have voted for these people to represent them. Just like uh, Brother Ralph mentioned that these people are supposed to be our servants. They're not leaders. We can look at some of the people that that we voted for to represent us. And we can come to the conclusion that they haven't represented us. In fact, I wanted to share some information in reference to our topic last week. and But I'll, I'll hold off on that because that deserves to spend a little time on it. And maybe we'll talk about it uh, Friday or next Sunday. But... Uh, you know, we can talk about the people that 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 have that we've elected to represent us. But the thing is, Richard, get your opinion before we close out. That if we don't do anything about this, then other people are already planning to have people that look like us represent them. And what I'm saying is this. We, we might have, and I do definitely have reservations about 
for example, to, uh, Georgia and Warnock. I don't think he represents a lot of the interests of black people that sent him there. And I, 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 I knew that you would agree, Richard. Right. But you got white liberals, white special interest groups, uh, 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 white uh, 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 religious groups, and I'll just put it that way, that not only wants him to represent you, but they're cultivating another guy that looks like him to run against him. I think one of the callers mentioned it last week that uh, Herschel Walker, the former football player, is being primed to run against him. So, Espy is also who Mike Espy. Yeah, but see, what I'm saying is, you got other people that's priming black folks to run against other black folks to be their mouthpieces. Then where does that leave me and you? to just sit back and complain about Warnock, to definitely complain about a guy like Herschel Walker and other people. We, can, we can't do that to one another. We can't do that to our children. We can't keep passing this struggle down, just like Minister Farrakhan said it in one of those pieces I play. We can't keep passing this same struggle down to a generation after generation. We can't keep doing that. I know that sounds, you know, that sounds nice when, uh, me or others can come on and just blast these people and show proof. And and that's one thing a lot of these uh, other programs might not do. They might not show proof. You know, we do what we can do here, but we, we got to, that's why I bring these folks on me and you, Richard, you come up with suggestions to bring these people on to tell our people that we got an, we have an alternative. We can do better. We don't just have to sit back and let white folks, whether they're religious groups, white liberals, white Democrats, keep appointing people to represent us and when they don't. Richard, your thoughts before we uh, close it out. I, I, I agree with you. I just, I just, um, you know, if we, but in, to do that, we must become organized in the exchange of ideals. Yes. I mean, we, I mean, you know, we can't just be, and only on terms of, I mean, in stating the problem, we can't just be propagandists of what the problem is. That is not, that is not problem solving. Um, Professor House um, raised about, you know, um, Dr. Amos Wilson. He was not just a problem identifier. Basically, he, he, I mean, if anybody watched him, he poured his energy in trying to get to provide a solution. And not for him to say he know it, but for us to be able to say, if this is it, this is how I can modify it. This is how I can be able to execute it within my life, even if I can't achieve it because that's a strategic goal that may take another generation to to achieve, but I could be able to put the foot to be able to put something in place that they can build on towards that goal. Um, That's the reaction I have to, to, to what you, you raised right now, because I find in a lot of venues, our discussion as we're, you know, trying to, get to problem solving 
and be an informal think tank just by our communication. We're more just a problem identifying between each other. Okay. That's not, that, that's to me is not healthy. Well, you know what? You probably have a point. In fact, you do have a point, but that's, I think that's one of the reasons why both of us try to bring people on that have come up with ideas to move our people forward that have come up with solutions, but these things need to be put into the marketplace of ideas in our community. That's why I agree with what he stated. And we've been talking about it before about establishing think tank and think tanks in these cities. Mm-hmm. These solutions is there. The solutions to our problems is among our community, but we just have to unify and put these solutions out there. We're intelligent enough to pick and choose which ones we want to move on. We did it in the past. It was just that this system that we live under disrupted all of that stuff. They disrupted it politically and they disrupted it with force. And I'm talking about whether it was Wilmington that we were trying to build, whether it was Tulsa, Rosewood. It's so many historical examples where they didn't just go in there and just use political know-how to try to weasel our people out. Uh, their poli- their political uh, 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 went hand in hand with physical force. So we can learn from the lessons of our ancestors. This can be done. And not only here, so we can think of a better life here in America. I mean, a lot of our people are not, you, you might have aspirations on going back to the continent, but a lot of our people might not go back to the continent. But if they stay here, they can at least have a, a mentality where they can help their own internationally. These other people do it all the time. you got Europeans here that have established America. They don't turn their back on Europe. They do all they can to bolster Europe, to help them out. That's their brethren. We can do the same thing. you got Asians that live here. They don't turn their back on China, Korea, Vietnam, or anywhere else. Do they, Richard? No. So what's I mean? What's wrong here? It's a mentality. It's a mindset change that we need among our people, and it's here. But we just have to unify. And listen, it's other forces that's involved in our communities that tries to make sure we don't unify. It's a fight that we. It's not just our people not unifying, and you understand that better than me, Richard, and our listening audience does too. You got other forces, governmental forces from this government that we live under that has a concerted effort to help you not unify. It's not in their interest for black folks to unify. But it's it's in our interest to unify. So the ball's in our court. Yes, yes, yes. Before we leave this evening, I just want to give the the lineup for Time for an Awakening Media, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. African Perspective with Brother Oshi. Always interesting conversation, guests, and topics on African Perspectives. That's Monday and Wednesday and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Later on Monday evening uh, from 8 to 9, Black Therapy Central with host Dr. Maria Kanban and Dr. Kamal Kanban from 9 to 10 every first and third Monday of the month conversation reparations that's in Cobra's program. That's the first and third Mondays of every month from nine to 10 PM on time for an awakening media from eight to 10 on Tuesday evening, black reality think tank 
with Dr. William Rogers on Wednesday. It's our time, the Black Farmers, uh, the West Georgia Cooperative, from 8 to 9 and from 9 to 10, the Black Agenda Project with Dr. David Muhammad, straight from Laytonville, Trinidad. On Friday's time for On the Weekending is back from 8 to 10 p.m. or 8 until on Saturday from 7 to 9, the elders of Sankofa with Brother Alfonso Watkins as host. And then on Sunday from 7 until time for An Awakening is back. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always, and we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon Or you're watching your children playing after school They seem to be Oh
save the children.